Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to our eighth episode of Staying Fit One Day at a Time. Odat, my name is Migs and I'm going to be your host. This started off as a Facebook group with just a few people, now up to almost 300 recovering athletes, now featuring an episode every week with one of their stories, sharing uh, their partying days, um, how the disease got the better of them, then sharing how they recovered and what they're doing fitness-wise, staying fit and healthy. Uh, Every episode features a different story. Today we have Natalie. Natalie got into partying at a very young age, having her first sip of alcohol before she was a teenager and being full-blown into partying by her late teens. Uh, Hear how Natalie turned that around and how she became an ultra marathon beast and find out how she's staying healthy, how she's staying fit, and most importantly, how she's doing this one day at a time. Good morning, good afternoon. Welcome on this uh, next episode of Staying Fit ODAT One Day at a Time. How are you doing today, Natalie? I'm doing well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for being on the episode today. Again, I say this morning and this afternoon because uh, for me, it's uh, oh, actually no, for you, it's afternoon as well. Sorry, you're only an hour behind me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm losing track of today. The snowstorm is killing us out here. Um, but why don't you tell us about, uh, tell us who you are and where you're from. Introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, um, I'm Natalie, and I'm from St. Charles, Iowa, which is a very small town about a half an hour south of Des Moines. Um, I grew up in Des Moines, so um, I'm not too far from home. Um, I live on a horse farm out here. I I own and run a horse farm, and um, the area is pretty beautiful. Um, If you're familiar with the movie The Bridges of Madison County, um, Madison County is where St. Charles is. Um, it's very, uh, it's super hilly. Um, it's pretty awesome for training. Awesome. That sounds really cool. And, uh, I don't know too much about horses. Um, but my father-in-law and my wife are like obsessed with horses and horseback riding. So if I'm ever in Iowa, we're going to have to hit up your farm. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, uh, Natalie, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your childhood, uh, how you grew up, a little bit about your background pretty much um, before you started drinking or using? Um, sure. So, I grew up in Des Moines, um, not too far from here, and my early childhood was actually pretty good. Um, my family was really involved. Um, I got the opportunity to go to private schools. Um, you know, I, I had some neighborhood friends and, um, overall, like my early, my early life was pretty good. I, you know, we had enough to eat. Um, nobody was in jail. Um, there just wasn't a lot of like early life trauma. Um, and you know, the point where that kind of started to change was really, um, when I started getting bullied in school. And how um, old was that? You know, I was probably six or seven. Um, so young. When, yeah, when I really noticed that the kids, they just, they were mean. Kids are mean. Um, and I, I was the weird horse girl 
I was the one that would, you know, gallop laps on the track and, and I had these horrible buck teeth and, you know, all I knew about and all I wanted to talk about was horses. And so I was not a very popular kid. Um, and I just, I didn't have a lot of school friends. Um, you know, I was the kid that always raised my, my hand for answers in class. And, you know, after a while that wasn't super popular either. Um, that's just terrible because kids are just bullying you just for having a passion and for trying to be educated. Oh man. Yeah. Kids can be, oh, they're just mean sometimes. Kids are terrible to each other. And, um, so yeah, that, that bullying was really a huge stressor when I was young. And then, um, at home things started to change. Um, my, my parents' marriage started to change as far as, um, you know, they never outright came out and said that they were having problems, but they were just having disagreements more often. Um, my dad was away working more often. Um, and my dad is, is also an alcoholic. And so, um, his drinking just got worse. And, um, I just want to, sorry, uh, self-proclaimed or just very well known. Very well known. And, and he's right now he's suffering, um, from some pretty extreme liver issues. And, um, he recently, uh, finally talked to me about, his drinking and how much of an effect it's had on him. Um, so he, he is not in recovery now and has never been in recovery. Um, but his, you know, his drinking kind of got worse around, you know, when I was nine, 10, 11 and the dynamic of our family just changed through that. Um, and, and I guess I just didn't have anyone to say, model good drinking behavior for me. Um, my mom was the kind of person who would sit on the couch and have, you know, a, a few glasses of wine at night alone by herself. My dad was always out drinking and always out late. Um, and so I just, I, you know, nobody ever really modeled for me what, what healthy drinking habits were. And so with that family background of, of having, alcoholism in my family and in my extended family. Um, it, I guess it's not surprising looking back that I ended up with an issue with substances. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's rough that it, it, a lot of times we just tend to hear that it comes from our, our parents and just what we see. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't have to see that at home and still turn different ways, but, a lot of times it's like, I feel like we're almost like set up for failure because it's just like, it's just what we see from such a beginning and we just really don't know any better. Um, so why don't you uh, now tell us about uh, a little bit of the, the next part of your life and up until uh, the first time you drank, or let's just, so that way I don't keep confusing it. Um, do you, I know you consider yourself more an NA than an AA. So do you mm -hmm. mind telling us what would be your, your drug of choice? Um, <laughs> all of them. Okay. Um, but most recently, uh, when I got clean, it was cocaine and alcohol. Okay. Um, so why don't you tell us about pretty much up until your first experience with drinking, if, if that was the first. Sure. 
Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I have noticed that, you know, a lot of people, their story kind of starts a little bit later, but, um, I started drinking when I was 11. Um, and so my, my early childhood prior to drinking just wasn't very long. Um, the first time I ever had a drink, I was actually at a babysitter's house. Um, when it was, you know, something that I, I chose to do and, um, we found a bottle of vodka on top of the cabinets and, um, you know, we knew that it was alcohol. Now, when you say we, was this another friend or was this the babysitter? Um, it was the babysitter's daughter. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we, we knew that it was alcohol. We knew that we wanted to try it. We had no idea what to do with it. And so we just started drinking out of the bottle and, you know, we'd take these little sips and make horrible faces and we were laughing and, and, you know, it was almost like we didn't want to do it because it, at the time, you know, vodka didn't taste very good straight to an 11 year old. <laughs> um, but we were having fun and doing something naughty and risky and, um, we thought we were cool. You know, we, we thought we're doing something that the adults do and that the older kids do. And um, I think that really attract, that feeling really attracted me to drinking at first. Um, and I, I wanted that back. I wanted to feel like something was special about me. I wanted to feel like there was, you know, if the horse girl thing wasn't very popular, I wanted to feel like maybe I could do something risky and naughty and, and cool. Oh man. Now, and did you, was your second time drinking? Was it immediately after? Was there a gap between where you couldn't access it or were you just like right back on the horse? No pun intended. Um, you know, for, for probably the next three years, my access to alcohol was pretty sporadic and, and it wasn't very, we wouldn't drink very much when we did drink. Um, you know, we would drink until we had a, a little buzz and, and we would, um, you know, we would just feel naughty enough. Like we were pretty good kids in general. Okay. Um, but, but we wanted to just have a little bit of naughty, you know, and, um, we, every once in a while, we'd get into their, their dad's vodka and refill it with water, by the way, every time it got watered down a little more. Um, I wonder how many parents out there have drank, because that's, that's always the go-to. Like, I wonder how many parents have drank vodka and either thought they were <laughs> drunk and weren't, or thought something tasted funny, or just like flat out caught on to it. Like, I just want to yeah. know, I, I would love to almost kind of get a poll out there and just see what are parents actually thinking when they're drinking watered vodka that their child is drinking? Right. And we were drinking top shelf vodka. Um, oh my gosh. So we were watering this down every time we drank it. <laughs> uh, but the bottle was a little dusty when we found it originally. So it wasn't like we um, were maybe touching something that was drank regularly. In that case, it might still be there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it might, uh, they, so I, you know, I, it wasn't until I was like 14 where I started getting introduced to cigarettes. Um, 
you know, in marijuana and um, those, you know, I just kind of experimented with two. It was all like a very experimental phase to see like, what could I get away with? I don't think I really liked any of it so much as I um, liked the image of me as a person who did these things. And um, I wanted to just be someone different and using substances, you know, in middle school helped me be someone different um, to myself. It, it created an image for myself of someone that I thought was, um, you know, better than the person that, that these kids were making fun of. Oh man. Now, at what point did you, I don't, I don't even want to, or sorry. Uh, at what point did it start getting like pretty out of hand? Um, at what point did you start noticing that you were partying too much? Not even that you had a problem, just at what point do you remember it was starting that it was really picking up for you? Um, you know, in, in retrospect, it was probably when I was 15 and 16 um, and I started using pills. Um, but at the time, I don't think I knew I had a problem with substances until I was 30. Um, until I tried to get clean. And then I realized how much of a problem I had. Um, but in retrospect, you know, looking back, I was like 15 and 16. And I had a friend who had access to, um, this was back in the days of the old Oxycontin. And um, so it, it came in pill form. We thought it was harmless, you know, and, and it was kind of a weekend thing at first um, to use pills. And you know, once a month or so I'd see this group of friends and we'd get high and, and, um, I thought, you know, that I thought it was pretty harmless, um, partying, you know, we'd, ha we'd drink or, or we'd use pills or both. Um, nobody ever was getting hurt. Nobody ever was ODing. Um, these were kids that were on the honor roll. <laughs> they were kids who were in sports and church. Um, and we just, we just had a little just to have fun, you know, and then after a while it was like, okay, we're doing it every weekend, you know? Um, and then after a while it was like, well, I'm going to do it during school cause I'm bored in my classes. Um, I still kind of had all the answers in some of my classes and I didn't feel like I needed to pay attention. Um, I was bored in my classes. I didn't have, you know, a lot to do after school until I got a job. Um, and then, yeah, and then I had my own money, um, and I worked in restaurants, um, started working in restaurants when I was 16, and so suddenly I was surrounded by adults who treated me like an adult, um, and, you know, those, those adults were using substances, smoking, drinking, um, and for some reason, they let 16-year-old me work the overnight shift at um, Perkins, a, wow. a diner. Um, so on weekends, I would, I would work overnights. And so I was working with, you know, a crowd of people who would use all night. And um, I was working with, I, you know, a lot of the customers that would come in at two and three o'clock in the morning were trashed. And um, I was a sophomore in high school. So uh, it, it, that is not a safe or it's not that definitely not an environment that a sophomore in high school should be in. Yeah, it's really not. Um, and I have no idea why 
I'm not even sure that it's totally legal to employ a 16 year old to work overnights, but oh, I wasn't going to say it. I've been in the restaurant industry for almost 20 years. It is 100% far from legal. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, this diner that I was working at, I could make, you know, there were nights where I'd make 200, 250 bucks in a night on a good Friday or Saturday. And for a 16 year old, you know, I could make 800 or a thousand bucks a week waiting tables. And I didn't really have, like, I didn't have bills. I didn't have rent. I didn't have a car payment. I didn't have to pay for my insurance. Um, and so I just had all this extra money. I think my parents thought I was making like 50 bucks here and there. Um, and I was like paying for my gas, but in reality, I was making a lot of money for a kid. And that, that would have been in 2004. So, I mean, 16 years ago, that was quite a bit of money for even an adult. Yeah. Um, and so I spent it on whatever I wanted, you know, it mostly and mostly drugs, um, and alcohol and, um, and I got away with it. Uh, my parents weren't super involved at that point. Um, they just didn't, there weren't a lot of rules in my house. Um, there were expectations that I get good grades, but you know, if I came walking in the door at midnight and I said I was at work, they just believed me, you know, um, they just, uh, didn't have, didn't have a lot of rules. They didn't have a lot of, there wasn't a lot of, um, punishments for, you know, misbehaving. Um, I don't know whether they knew I was high or if they just didn't know if they just had no idea at all. Yeah. It's, it's hard to think that your, your dad wouldn't notice, um, you know, just being, being uh, a drinker himself, you know, we, we tend to know when other people are up to things. Um, but I think a lot of times we just hide it because if we don't call people out on their shit, they can't call us out on our shit. And then we can just both just stay on our side of the street. Um, but yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's just a shame. Cause like, that's such a young age, like by you're, you're not even 18 years old and you've already mentioned four different drugs that you've tried, including alcohol and working an overnight shift. And it's like, that's just absolutely insane to even fathom. Like you really, really started early. Um, and it's, it's really not something that I want to glorify for our listeners, but it's something that I want to highlight because as we get into um, the meat and potatoes, so to speak, when we start talking about the recovery portion, it's just, it's really, really important for our listeners to know um, what you have overcome to get where you are today when, when they hear all of everything that you've accomplished, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, also just for people to hear too, that it's, it's, it can happen at such a young age because I believe that a lot of people that um, started listening to this podcast as well um, aren't necessarily all in recovery. Some of them are just runners and some people just like hearing the comeback story, just like with sports. And they just want to hear because at the end of the day, the, the one cool thing about this podcast is spoiler alert. Everyone is clean at the end of it. So it's, that is the cool part. So I think that's what a lot of people kind of like that, that comeback story and that underdog story, um, even if they're not in recovery and that's, that's really cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and then tell us, uh, I mean, you're, you obviously are pretty much like full blown using at this point and you're pretty much partying in every way possible. Um, 
So why don't you tell us about your adult years when everything starts, not everything becomes legal, but when you're old enough to buy alcohol and everything is even more accessible for you. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about those years? Sure. Um, you know, so I, I guess when I was 16, I, I didn't really see myself as an addict. I kind of, I, I justified this all by saying, um, you know, that I was just partying and I didn't really have this, you know, I had a job, I had a safe place to live. I had a, a family who, you know, loved me even, even though they had their issues. And um, I went to a prestigious private school. Um, I rode horses on weekends. I, sh I showed horses. So I didn't, I didn't see myself as an addict at all. Even though I was using pretty regularly, it didn't, it just didn't occur to me. I, it wasn't the image that I had of an addict. And so I, um, adulthood kind of started early for me, um, as I was working in very, now various restaurants, because now I was moving, now I was job hopping, um, as servers would, tend to do, you know, get in arguments with managers or not show up for shifts or yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, it got to a point where I had had some, some trauma in my, you know, teenage years and, um, I was a very, I, I was just really depressed. Um, I think both because of using, um, and because I just didn't know how to handle, um, feelings and trauma and that kind of stuff that I, uh, ended up leaving home when I was 17. So my adult years started, uh, when I was 17, I left home. Um, and while attending high school, I actually lived in my car. Um, so my, my senior year, um, I, I left after an argument with my dad. Um, and I left on foot. I walked almost across the city, which is Des Moines is a fairly large city. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, I, I, slept outside. I slept on friends' couches. Um, I tried to make work what I could make work. Um, I lived in a one bedroom apartment with 14 to 20 other people, uh, for a while. Um, it was a bunch of, you know, homeless jobless kids that all kind of just made an apartment work and, um, used together and, you know, some used, some didn't, some had serious issues with heroin and, and some just liked the drinking on weekends, but, um, but we mostly used together and, um, I bounced around a lot for a couple months and, um, I finally landed on, <laughs> excuse me, um, the, I landed on the doorstep of a horse trainer. Um, it was cold and snowy and, um, I was, I just, I knew I couldn't spend the night outside um, the, the youth program youth programming that they have for, for kids who are homeless in Des Moines is only really open very select hours. And you have to kind of be careful about who you tell what, just because it gets DHS involved. So, um, I knew I didn't want DHS involvement. Um, I didn't want to go home. I probably could have gone home. Um, home would have been a safe place, but, um, but I just didn't feel that way. I didn't, I uh, wasn't getting along with my family. So I landed on the doorstep of this horse trainer who took me in. And um, our deal was that I would work every day after school and on weekends, and she would take me to high school. Um, and it was a really healing experience. Um, 
you know, her rule was no drugs. And so that was my first experience going from using drugs to not using drugs. Um, I was still drinking, um, but it was, I was so distracted by being at the barn. That was what I, that was all I wanted to ever do. I wanted to be at the barn 24 seven. Um, and I got my first chance to really start training horses and teaching riding lessons and, um, you know, being a part of something that was really wholesome, um, and really good for me. Um, I didn't feel like I, you know, at that point I, I didn't really miss the drugs. Um, and I, and I really wasn't detoxing because of the way that I was using, um, I didn't go through a big detox process. It was, it was pretty short. Um, and I was so distracted that by the horses that I, that I didn't feel like I needed drugs at that point. I had something else for my obsession and my compulsion to go to. Um, and eventually, you know, not having dealt with kind of some underlying issues, I ended up lying to this friend of mine, Jen, and, um, she kicked me out. Um, and I still felt like I couldn't really go home. You know, I, I didn't really know what else to do. I think I went home for a couple of weeks. Um, I ended away again and, um, I, I ended up having a, a guy that I kind of knew through somebody that gave me a car. So I lived in a car for the end of my senior year and I just parked at Walmart and, um, Walgreens and, you know, businesses that are open 24 hours. Um, and I'd get up every morning with my little battery powered alarm clock cause I didn't have a cell phone and, um, go to school, you know, and, and I wasn't doing well in school, but I, I just, I was a full, like I, I had all the responsibilities of being an adult. I had a job. I had, I had so much going on outside of school. School seemed like so off my radar. Um, you know, and, and I didn't really have the money to use. So I wasn't, I wasn't using heavily at that point. I would, I would drink or use when I got the chance. Um, but it, but it wasn't something that I could afford or something that was necessary. I was really lonely. Um, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of friends at the end of my senior year. Um, no one could really, my high school friends couldn't understand what was going on in my life. My adult friends, um, you know, I, I just didn't have a lot of contact with them at that point. Um, but I graduated and I graduated on time. Um, uh, you know, through a lot of long, really cold nights in that car, um, which only had, it only had, a warm defrost and cold defrost like the regular hot and cold didn't work so I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd just be like freezing in the back seat and I'd have to turn on the warm defrost for a little while um you know so I I got out of high school and then um I spent a summer I got all this money for graduating high school so I took off on a greyhound bus and I traveled the country for a summer um and just was this little traveling. It was my first time really experiencing the world outside of my hometown um, and, and, and navigating the world and, and booking my own buses and hitchhiking through Michigan and, um, you know, partying in Florida, um, which speaking of which, pot, partying in Florida, I, I went to this party and it was a, the first time I got roofied. 
unfortunately, nothing terrible happened to me. Somebody kind of pulled me out of the situation. Um, but that was my, my very first experience with drugs that I did not intend to, t- to take. Wow. Uh, and there and was more I would, than one of those experiences. Usually someone doesn't say the first time. Right? Oh, right. I've, just, I've put myself in a lot of situations that were um, unfortunately ended up not, not turning out well. And, and um, fortunately, you know, I got through them and I, and I lived to see recovery. But there were a lot of times in my life where I, that could have gone very differently. A hundred percent. That's like, I think with everyone on this podcast and I think just with everyone in recovery in the world, I think there are so many decisions that we make that like, if someone isn't looking out for us in one way or another, that's like the difference between you being on an episode of this podcast and being an episode of like law and order. Like, it's just, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable how like some of these situations, how we just like completely just leave almost unscathed just with like a blackout story and we really shouldn't. Oh, absolutely. So many times. And, you know, I was 18 and, um, I did make it back to Des Moines, um, started working again, um, in restaurants and, you know, started partying again on weekends and, and I'd have some drinks, you know, at night after work, like you do when you work in the restaurant industry. Um, my, my access to alcohol was pretty much uninhibited the entire for my entire life um so it wasn't like I had to struggle to get alcohol just because I was 18 um and then um I had a friend I got this apartment I decided to go to school and um for going to school I got a bunch of loan money with that I got my very first apartment and um my rent was like $365 a month, I think, for this super shitty little studio. A dollar Um, a day for rent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was really small and like the bed folded out of the wall and I was sleeping on a mattress that was like provided by the apartment complex. Um, But it was mine. It was finally mine. And I felt like I finally had a home. I felt like I belonged there. There was no one to argue with. There was nobody to have rules, you know, um, it was all mine. And, um, I ended up having a friend who needed a place to stay. Um, and it turned out that she'd been using heroin. She moved in, um, while she was using. And to me at the time that seemed like real drugs. Uh, did you know she was doing this before she moved in? I knew that she had done it. I didn't know that she was still using regularly. Um, and she at the time was a stripper. And so, you know, and, and I don't want to perpetuate this idea that all strippers do drugs because it's definitely not true, but, um, but it was, it was fueling her habit. And at the time I thought, man, I wish I could make that kind of money. You know, she, I came home, from working at famous Dave's and I stayed up all night for her to get home waiting to tell her, you know, that I just had my best night at this restaurant and I'd made 150 bucks. She comes walking through the door and she says, guess what? I've had my best night. And I thought, Oh man, what, what a coincidence. And she tells me that she made like 600 bucks and I was just crushed that I had all night 
you know, and I, and I was super excited. And then I just, I couldn't bring myself to tell her about it. And I, you know, I'd worked, I'd worked really hard and I just kind of saw her playing dress up and then coming back reeking of cigarettes. Uh, we both smoked at the time, but man, her whole dance bag would just be like this ashtray she'd bring in. And I wished I could dance, you know, I, I wished that I could make that kind of money. I felt like it would solve all my problems. And, um, spoiler alert, I did end up, but I had to work a bunch of other jobs in restaurants and, you know, I worked for a, a large bank for a while, um, in 2008 and 2009. Um, I moved on to, um, working for Wells Fargo during the recession. Uh, so I, I processed people's, um, mortgage refinancing and it was my job to basically reject whatever came my way on purpose. And I hated my job. Um, but I couldn't afford using substances. So it was, it was drinking here and there, you know, and I, I went out and did the whole get trashed for my 21st birthday thing. And, and, um, you know, I, I would drink with my dad here and there. I, I sort of, it became this, if I couldn't get to know my dad in any other way as, as, as a dad at that point, um, I wanted to be his drinking buddy. And so we would get together and drink sometimes. Um, and our relationship started to get a lot better when I became his drinking buddy. Um, and, and I ended up, uh, Wells Fargo told me that they, you know, were laying off a bunch of people, um, at one point. So I, I had no job. I had no money. I had very few skills. I'd burned my bridges at probably 10 restaurants in town. Um, and I didn't know what to do. And so I started dancing, um, when I was 21. Uh, and you know, when I look back at my career, I really loved it. Um, but it, it definitely was the gateway for me to have all the money that I could to use substances. And, um, it was totally the, there were no longer consequences for using substances. I, I showed up to work whenever I wanted. Um, there was no hours that I had to keep. I could sleep all day. Um, I could choose to not go to work for a week and still have my job. Um, I just, there, it was like, it became that I was partying for a living. Um, so, so that's when really things kind of started to, to pick up a lot more. Oh man, that's, that's, that's a lot to, to take for someone so young. And then all of this, all of this happened by time you were not even 21, like 21, 20, you're like 21 when you get to that last part. Like that's absolutely insane how much you like some people don't deal with that in their entire life. Um, fortunately for them, um, it just, again, it just goes to show like how strong of a person you really have to be to overcome everything you really have. Um, so why don't you tell us about October 28th, 2018? So, um, that's my clean date for anybody listening. Um, I was sitting in my bedroom, coming down, trying to come down, couldn't come down, um, on October 25th, 
2018. And, you know, I, I was scared at this point. I was using the amount of drugs that I was afraid that, you know, one bag bag, one bad bag that was, was laced with fentanyl or something like that. I was, I was genuinely afraid that I could die. And, um, I, I also kind of knew I didn't, I didn't know how to stop. And, and something in me, there was this, this place inside of me that was like, man, you just, you got to stop. Like this, this has gotten to the point where you're going to die, you know? And I, I was laying in bed trying to come down. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning, couldn't come down. And I thought back to a friend who had mentioned that they'd tried NA um, at one point. And, and, you know, it hadn't been a long conversation. They hadn't stuck around. Um, you know, it, it wasn't something that someone in recovery had like really planted a seed in me. It was that I just kind of, my higher power said like, hey, remember this conversation you had? And so I downloaded the app. There's an app for like meetings. And um, I didn't think alcohol was my problem um, because I just thought I was better at drinking than everyone. <laughs> uh, and so I downloaded the app and there was, there was a noon meeting that I could go to in the city about a half hour away. And, and I decided that because I was scared of, of overdosing, because, you know, I was, I was really not doing well physically that day. And um, I was like, well, maybe these drug addicts will know what to do with me if I'm like medically not okay. Maybe I can just go sit with them. And I just, I also kind of just wanted to die. Like I just wanted to die from the amount of like shame that I had from my addiction. I didn't really realize it was an addiction at that point. Still, I just thought that I had a problem. Um, and the reason that I make that distinction is because I had this such a preconceived idea of what an addict was. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I had a house, I had a fancy car. I, um, you know, I just bought a beautiful 20 acre farm. Um, and it, the year before I had, I just won worlds on my horse. Um, my life was filled with tons of privilege. I thought I couldn't be an addict, you know, but I knew I had a problem. So, I, I went to this meeting and, and I just, I walked in late, worked up the courage, walked in late, sat there trying not to cry the whole time. And then um, when everyone circled up at the end, uh, I totally faked a phone call and like left. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, but my first meeting, I heard from people who were like me. Um, and I needed that. I needed that a lot. So I ended up using one more time. I tried not to use for a few days. I ended up using at work again. Um, and finally, you know, I, I really only used that one last time. Um, and I haven't had a drink or any other substances since October 28th, 2018. Oh, that is so, so awesome. That is, that's always like my favorite part of every episode is when we get to that day. Cause it's just like when we're all born again, we all get, you know, I, for some people, it's a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. It doesn't even matter what chance it is. Um, it, it just hopefully whatever, whatever attempt that is for that person, hopefully they get it right. Um, and that, Cause that's all we can do is, you know, just, just try and um, just stay focused one day at a time and just try and work our program, whatever that is. Um, not everybody goes to meetings. 
Um, everybody has their way of doing it. And this, this podcast isn't about telling people how to achieve their recovery. It's just about celebrating everyone's recovery together. Um, but with that being said, why don't you tell us a little bit about what did work for you? Um, so what worked for me was going to NA um, and, and starting to make some friends. Uh, I really, I started reaching out to people that I heard share at meetings that resonated with me. And I, you know, just stuffed down all of my insecurity and went up and I asked for their phone numbers. And then I would like text them because I didn't want to call them because I was too personal, but I would like text them like, Hey, <laughs> and <laughs> I was so shocked because they would text me back or they would call me. And then I'd have this moment of like frozen fear. Where I'd have to call them back. And, um, I, you know, I, I went to meetings every day, sometimes twice a day. Um, and I just changed, I changed my social life. I changed, um, I, I just started immersing myself in the fellowship. And for me, I had the time during the day to do that. I went to every event and, and, um, I just dove right in as a newcomer, um, got myself basic text and read it, um, you know, got myself a sponsor after, I don't know, 80 days or something like that. And, um, you know, started working steps with her and, um, I just, everything I, I have done in my life, I've just kind of dove in and I did dive into recovery the same way. Um, it was, it was an awesome opportunity to just be able to, um, have that in early recovery and have so many people who all of a sudden cared about me. Yeah. That, the, the fellowship really is just a really special thing. Um, and it, it's just, there's just so much love. There's just so much like help and just there, everybody, everybody just has one goal and that's it. And that it's, it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, and I know exactly how you feel in the beginning. I was the same way with the texting. Um, and then they would call me and I would, uh, I would immediately just, I would let the call go to voicemail. And then I, I think I would respond to them like, sorry, I'm busy. I had a newborn at the time. So I could always just blame it on, oh, I'm with the baby and I don't want to wake him up. So I can just text. And it was just a way easier way to just communicate. Um, it was also a cool way to talk to more than one at a time as well. Um, so I like that as well. And uh, I also want to throw it out there as well. I know you mentioned getting the app in the beginning. I don't know what app you use, but for anybody listening to this, if anybody um, needs help and wants to find a meeting, I know one app that especially worked in my local area was Meeting Guide. Um, and I know, I, I'm not sure if it had a setting that you can change to NA. I know it, it specifically showed all AA meetings, at least in my area. Um, and it had all the details of them, whether it was for men, women, speaker, step, beginner open it just had all the details all the places um and i think even in my story i shared a little bit about that when i uh just found that first meeting right away so that app is really really cool um uh and it again it's just it's so cool that you found that way on october 28 2018 um hopefully a day that will just stay there forever and um why don't you go now because my one of not even my favorite, I, I get, yeah, my favorite part, I don't know, but the running part of the episode. 
um, or the fitness part or, you know, whatever is your go. But I just, I know for you specifically, it's running because you're a beast and I'm trying not to play spoiler alert right now because you have a phenomenal distance that you recently accomplished, but we're going to, we're going to hush hush on that for a couple minutes and we're going to build our way up to that. Um, so why don't you tell us about your running career? How, did you ever run before, um, before recovery or was that something that started and just tell us how you became a runner? So I started running when I was 23 to quit smoking. So I was definitely not in recovery. Um, and, um, I, I, I wanted to quit smoking and I found the couch to 5k program. Um, and I thought it sounded super doable, um, for me and, and it was, and I stuck to it and I was super proud of myself. And at the end I signed up for this 5k and I ran it and you would have thought I won the Olympics. You know, like it was a really like dead average time. I didn't win anything, but, but at the end of that 5k, I felt like I won the Olympics. I stuck to something, you know, and I was still partying at work. I was still drinking at work. I was drinking heavily. Um, but it was, it was one good thing that I was doing for myself. And, um, and I kept running, um, after that, you know, I, I set myself up to run a 10k. I thought if I can run a 10k, that's just insane. Cause I was never into fitness in high school or I didn't play, you know, a lot of team sports or anything. So running really wasn't a part of my, my childhood. And, um, and I ran the 10 K and I didn't die. <laughs> I didn't die. Uh, my thighs were hamburger meat after that first 10 K cause I wore shorts that were way too little. Um, um but, but I lived and you know, the extremist in me thought, well, maybe I can train for and run a half marathon. Got to do everything to the extreme. I've always been prone to doing things to extremes. So, so I hired a coach who helped me, um, get to that, that half marathon. I flew all the way to Vegas. Um, feel free to shout out your coach if you want to. Um, I actually have not trained with him since 2011, but his name is Tim Ives. Um, and, and he was really kind to me and helped me learn all of the basics of running and really gave me that strong foundation. Um, but he, I remember his name all these years later. Uh, but well, thank you, I, Tim, for building the foundation of a, a phenomenal future runner and shout out to all running coaches out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I needed that back. I didn't have any background in running and I, I didn't know how to find a background in running that would help me get to a half marathon, you know, just things like how much water to take with you and, and not wearing tiny shorts when you have no thigh gap and, <laughs> um, you know, what to eat and, and how, how to vary your distance and things like that. So he gave me all those basics and, and I trained for, ran that half marathon. And then I was just addicted to half marathons. You know, um, I ended up running, I don't probably almost 20 more of them um, over the next three years or so. And I just didn't think I could run a full marathon. That just seemed too crazy. Like I knew that I had, you know, abused my body. I knew that I, I drank a lot and, and so I didn't want to go for the marathon. I thought I was pretty much at my peak, you know? Um, and what ended up happening was, uh, I did end up training for a 
marathon on the advice of some trail running buddies. I was the youngest. I hadn't done a marathon yet. Everybody else had been running marathons and ultras. And for my 26th birthday, I trained for and ran a marathon. Nice. And, and yeah, and it was, it was phenomenal. I did a couple 20 milers on a treadmill that kind of broke my soul, but, um, <laughs> but I did it and my birthday's in February. So the, the bulk of my training was in very cold, you know, December, January time. And anyway, I, I ran it. I felt like a million bucks. Um, but I was still chasing something, you know, um, it wasn't good enough. Um, and I thought, all right, I've run, I've run a marathon. I have all these ultra running buddies who seem like normal human beings, unless they're talking about running a hundred miles. And so I started to train for a 50 miler. And unfortunately, in the process of doing that, I got hurt. Um, I ended up completing a second marathon on a whim, but, um, but that fall I got hurt and I hurt my back. Um, I have two bulging discs and a blown like SI joint. And so I quit running for a couple years. Um, partied hard. Um, I was super depressed. You know, I, I had a really hard time with my friendships. Um, Cause this is I, going back towards the end of your using days, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so when I, when I found fitness, I was definitely still using heavily. Um, and then, you know, getting hurt, I had more access to prescriptions again. Um, and then, then I just couldn't get off that ride. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of addict that once I'm on the ride, I'm, I'm on it. Um, and, and that, that stuck around for a couple of years. I had kind of an unlimited budget. I had unlimited free time, um, and unlimited, you know, freedom from consequences. So, um, I could go to work high, you know, I was, I stripped for 10 years, so it wasn't, um, I could, I could easily get high at work and, and people knew and it, it wasn't a problem. Um, but sometime in 2016, you know, I decided this is it. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try running again, come back from this back injury. And I tried the couch to 5k again. And I was so proud of myself and, and, you know, I, I hadn't been using pills anymore and, and, um, I'd gone back to college and so I ran between classes and, um, trained for and ran a half marathon and three weeks later I broke my ankle. So here we are again with, you know, pills and substances and, and making myself physically feel better through, through pain and, um, I rode that out for another couple years, you know, and then 2018, I was trying to get my life together again, trying to get my life together again. If that isn't a broken record for an addict or an alcoholic, <laughs> I don't know what is, but I was trying to get my life together again. I was trying to just be happy, you know, running made me happy. It was, it was, it felt like freedom to me. So I started running again in 2018 and I, unfortunately, you know, my addiction had kind of gotten to the point where I skipped a lot of my training runs. Um, I just didn't put in the effort. I ran when I felt like it. Um, I picked the easiest route that I could. Um, I did the minimum amount of work and, um, I actually ran uh, a half marathon about a week before I got clean. Wow. Um, and 
I just, my, my training there at the end wasn't that consistent, but, um, when I got clean, I, I kind of shied away from running for a while. Um, I was really busy going to meetings and to me, that was my new obsession was recovery. Um, and it also felt good. So it kind of replaced running for a while and then, um, COVID hit and all of our meetings got shut down and you know, if the excuse that I'd been using for so long was that I didn't have time to run, well, <laughs> COVID, <laughs> COVID just blew that excuse right out of the water. Living on a farm, there's just not much outside of the farm. Um, and I started running again uh, in mid-April this year. Um, and I, I finally put in the effort. I ran up that hill that was hard you know, and I might have to stop halfway, but I knew at some point I'd be able to run up the whole mile long hill, you know, um, and I did speed work every Monday morning, speed work, and I watched my times just start dropping, and I couldn't believe it. At first, I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to be as fast as I was when I was 24 and 25, now that I'm 32, and then my times just kept dropping, and so I ran a 5K and I thought, oh, good, for old time's sake, I'll see if I can run a 10K. I'll just see if I still can. You know, and I trained for and I ran um, a 10K and, and PR'd that 10K. And I was like, holy, where did this come from? <laughs> and trained for and ran a half. And I was like, okay, all right, I don't, this is going well. So I, I kind of set my sights on doing a 50 miler because I have to do things to the extreme. And so I started training, got to work this summer and did tons of speed work and hill work and trails and runs in the heat. Um, and I just squeezed in running wherever I could. Um, and, and it was hard this summer to do that um, because of the farm. I also spend, you know, eight to 10 hours, sometimes more doing physical labor too. So with my job on average, I walk like five to seven miles a day. Um, and it's not uncommon for me to, you know, have to stack hay and clean stalls and, you know, repeatedly lift things to go for a run after that is, is tough. Um, but it was great cross training. I don't cross train. Um, I just work on the farm. Um, and then, you know, as, as things progressed, I, I started to feel like, okay, marathon is in my sights and I, I kind of have this wild idea. I might run a 50 miler and, um, I'd been doing a lot of back to back long runs. And, uh, so I, I ran, I ran the marathon and actually PR'd it by over an hour. It was one hour oh, and one minute. Shit. Yeah. So that was my third marathon ever. Um, and my first marathon in recovery. Um, that's over so two I'm, minutes a mile to take off. Oh yeah. I, I can't fathom that right now. Holy shit. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, I went from a, a four hour and 51 minute marathon time to a three hour and 50 minute marathon time. So I was pretty stoked about that and I was feeling great about myself. And, and the next step for me was going to be a 50 K a month later. And I started out on this 50K and 
I left home, but I forgot my lunch money when I was like a mile and a half away already. Um, so I had to run back home to get my lunch money because there was not, there's nothing out here to, there's no place I can set up an aid station. There's not a very good loop to run. I was just running between towns, self-supported, filled my camel back up and off I went. So uh, I added a few extra miles um, to my, to my 50 K and stopped in one of the towns to just, I, I bought some like greasy gas station food and shoved it in my pocket. Um, I might've ruined those pants, but I ended up finishing it, um, by myself and, and got home. And that, that was how I celebrated two years clean recently. Um, was just doing, doing what I love to do and, and, and using my body and being, um, very thoughtful about how I use my body. Um, and anyway, so I, I, uh, finished that still had my sights on the 50 miler. I ended up running the 50 miler, um, three weeks ago and it was my first 50 miler. It was the third one I'd trained for and the first one I'd ever accomplished. Um, that's just unbelievable. First, 50 yeah. miles. People get yeah. on your local highway and think about how long 50 miles is when you're driving the speed limit like that 50 miles insane this woman is a beast <laughs> yeah uh and i got one day off i should mention that so after i ran this 50 miler i had that day off i also had a farm i also had a friend watch the farm on sunday i knew i probably wouldn't be feeling great but monday morning i was back at work feeding horses, throwing hay. Um, there were no, there was not a very long recovery period. I shoved probably around the, the barn all week. Is it safe to say that was probably your worst Monday morning ever? Yeah, that was, I mean, in recovery, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'll take, I'll yeah. take any Monday morning, you know, in recovery over one, over my best Monday morning when I was using. Absolutely, 100% especially if it's because I ran. Oh, it was great. Um, and I ended up actually, I found out uh, because of the way the results were sorted and, and compiled, I ended up finding out a week later that I won top female in the 50 miler in my first one. Wow. Yeah. Again, another just unbelievable congratulations. You're just like a true, true inspiration. And it's, it's so cool to see like, a lot of people um, who are in running and in recovery, we just like love doing races on our recovery birthdays. It's just so cool. Um, just get to see it all the time on the, uh, on the ODAT nation page and just um, on staying fit one day at a time. And just constantly seeing people celebrate their birthdays with a run or some type of physical activity. And it's so cool just seeing where we're at now and where our priorities are and just, I don't know. I, I just love, I can't stop smiling. And I'm just like always cheesing when I get to these points in the story. Cause it's just, it's so cool. Like it's just an unbelievable, uh, an accomplishment. And I, I have stuff like that in the back of my mind for years down the road. Cause I have other goals right now, but just 50 miles is just unbelievable. Yeah. And I, you know, running for me is, is a way that I make amends to myself. Um, it's a way that I make amends to my body. Um, for all the harm that I did, I, you know, 
when I first got into recovery, somebody asked me how long I'd been using and I had to really think about it. Um, and, and I'd been using drugs other than alcohol for 15 years, um, pretty consistently. So after 15 years of, you know, drugs and God, another 19 years of drinking heavily, you know, off and on. Keep in mind, I, she's answering this question at 30 years old. 32, 32. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd been using drugs for 15 years and I'd been using alcohol for 19 years and, and got clean. And I, I just, it's such, it's such an amazing thing to be able to do something to repair that damage and to be able to see it, you know, be able to see it in going from running four miles to five miles to 10 miles, you know, to 50 miles. I'm not necessarily sure that was a great idea, but but I did it. And, you know, to see that progress, I can see the change in myself, in my body, you know, um, and just in, in the peace that I have from being able to, to do those things. Uh, it's just, it's just so remarkable. It's just such a cool comeback story that you have, Natalie. And it's, it's just unbelievable. And I'm so glad that we finally had a chance to like, get this episode together because we've been we've been working on this for a couple of weeks now trying to set this up um but you just like just like with a uh, uh, a lot of other people that get onto the facebook page as soon as it's found it's just so cool because um just without even without even like it wasn't even like a protocol so to speak like no one has to do it but it's really cool because every time someone joins the page they immediately introduce themselves it's almost like um, in an AA meeting, um, they, they, when you're new, they, they say, is anyone new to AA or new to this meeting and like to introduce themselves? And it's funny because like, that's the part that I always think of when I see those posts. Cause it's like, yeah. Oh, hi, I'm Natalie. Thank you so much for having me on the page. Um, this is a little bit about my story and this is what I just most recently beast mode crushed. And this is my next <laughs> goal. And, and it's just always like some cool story of that gist. And I just, I love when I read those, like, it's just, it's so, so cool because it, it's just like, so inspiration. It just reminds me what this page is all about. And it just, I just get lost in those for hours and it, it's just, it's the coolest ever to me. I'm just, I'm obsessed with, uh, with, with recovery for, for other people as well. It's just, it's like the coolest thing in the world to me. Um, especially when running is tied into that. Uh, yeah, so I think, I think you found me on a, a different Facebook page where somebody was talking about it, uh, being in recovery and I, I made a comment and I ended up joining. Um, and then I found the podcast and I like binge listened to every episode and I was just hooked for, I don't know. I, I think I went through all of them in a day while I was working in the barn. Um, it was, it was really awesome to listen to other people who, you know, much like I find the identification at meetings, like it's, it's so nice to hear from other runners and fitness enthusiasts who are also, you know, addicts and alcoholics. Nice. Um, and definitely appreciate you um, being one of those subscribers and um, listening to the episode and uh Good news for you. It's today is Thursday, three days from now. Um, our next episode uh, releases. Uh, by the time people are listening to this, that episode will already be out there. But I uh, just did a really cool 
uh, episode with um, a couple that are on the ODAD Nation page as well. And so that's going to be a really cool episode. I'm actually getting ready to edit that as soon as this interview is over. Um, so that'll be out in a couple of days. So you'll have that one to listen to this Sunday as well. Yes. I love listening to these. Yes. Um, so do you have any, any immediate race goals up in mind, any further distances or just kind of like maintaining and kind of thinking about things right now? Um, so I'm maintaining over the winter. I, Winters on a farm are hard. Everything's frozen. Everything takes longer. Um, so I'm actually just, I'm actually backing off a little bit. I was kind of overtrained going into my 50 miler. So I'm going to wait for spring to come around, kind of have some base fitness and then see where the world COVID situation is at before I plan something new. Um, it's a fair plan. But yeah, but I, I, I'm guessing it'll be, you know, a marathon or a 50K or an ultra, well, I can, uh, I, a 50 miler. I'd like to think that um, I can think of at least one virtual race that you're running next month. Hint, hint. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. The, uh, for anybody that doesn't know as well, the, uh, the ODAT uh, first annual ODAT race is going to be next month. It's like a virtual weekend race. So the, there's not an exact date. You have like a three day window. Um, so anybody that's listening to this as well, anybody that wants to jump out, um, and participate in the virtual race, uh, definitely reach out to me. Um, I will have more details as well to follow, but um, a really cool race coming up. So hopefully you'll be participating with that one on us next month. Um, got a I bunch will. of different distances to choose from. So just whatever you feel. I mean, you're the kind of girl that can just wake up out of bed and just run a marathon anyway. So if you're kind of <laughs> tired, just do 5K. You know, I was thinking about doing 5K um, because I really want to – um, work on my time and see, you know, if I can either break 24 minutes again, or if I can, if I can improve, um, I, I'm actually thinking I might, I might focus on the, a shorter distance. I, I had my fun with the, the 50 miler, but Hell yeah, PR I'm, cutting back. I'm cutting back. 5k is just like a different kind of pain. It's just like you push and you push and you push for, you know, whatever your fitness is, but 20 plus minutes usually for, for most of us. Um, you know, for, for the better part of just over 20 minutes is just absolute hell of just pushing. And then the shin splints and you just, you want to stop and you, you hate it, but you love it at the same time. It's just, uh, it's, it's a, it's a special kind of race. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I am thinking about doing the 5k. Go for it. So, um, you've listened to all the episodes and more recently, so you know how we're going to end this up with a few questions. Um, do you have any cool, funny, embarrassing run stories that you want to share with us? Yeah, I do. Okay, so um, I had just started back to running this spring and was on my way home. There are no bathrooms out here. Everybody's got a good, like, runner poop story, right? <laughs> okay, so I made it almost all the way home. And I don't really have neighbors. So um, – I like could not make it in the house. And I was like, it's either my pants or the yard. I chose the yard. Not a problem. It's the country. I, nobody saw me, but unfortunately <laughs> I, uh, my dog came over, rolled in it. So here I am like bathing my own 
poop off of my dog after I got home from one of my very first runs back. And I I almost threw in the towel. I was almost like, maybe this is not for me, but uh, I'm glad I stuck with it. That's that's definitely one of the better ones we've had on here. (laughs) That's a unique one for sure. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that one with us. Um, Do you have any, uh, do you have any athletes that inspire you that motivate you? You know, I, I recently read um, Katra Corbett's book, and um, I think it's called Reborn on the Run, and um, I loved it. I loved it. I just, I fell in love with her personality, um, and I really related to her story about, um, you know, being an addict and, and then finding redemption through running. Um, and she's very active on, on trail running pages and she's very active in the, in the ultra running scene. I think she just ran the Moab 240. Um, and she's just, she just runs a ton of ultras and I totally fell in love with her book. And then the other one that I really love, you know, isn't so much a person, but it's like, I love brand new runners like runners who are like running in some sketchers, like, you know, they, they're wearing like their one pair of like stretchy shorts and like they don't have a watch and they don't know what to do and they're worried and they're looking around at people, but they still have so much hope. They have so much, like, I want that hope. I want the hope of like a brand new runner who's like, I think I can do this. You know, I want that kind of hope. That is really cool. Like to see that it's almost like a, a fresh baby because if, when you, when you get to see a few of them and, and they're running without their watch and you can almost tell sometimes when you see the outfit as well um, and definitely not knocking a wear whatever the hell you want when you get out there, as long as you're getting out there. But as someone who is, I guess, you know, a self-proclaimed obsessed runner and has bought into, you know, a lot of the fads, so to speak and whatnot, as, as someone who is like that myself, when you see that fresh runner out there, you just kind of think that's a person who doesn't care about time. They don't care about this. They don't care about that. And it's almost kind of a cool thing too, because I know sometimes like I get annoyed to myself that you get lost and looking at the watch and making sure you're dressed for this and you have this and you have that. And it's like, sometimes just throw on a pair of shorts and some shoes and just get the hell out the door and just go put in a few miles the hell with it. Yeah. You know, and, and they're so like, they don't have all these like preconceived ideas about what running should be or like what it should feel like, or, you know, what a good run for them is yet. Like they're just these like brand new runners who are full of hope. And, um, and I take that with me on runs sometimes. Like I don't have all the latest tech and I, I can't afford to have a closet full of shoes. So, um, you know, reminding myself that there's so many runners out there who, run on bare bones and hope and that's the kind of runner i want to be that's so cool and i'm definitely going to make it a point to myself too. my next recovery run um i'm just i'm not going to take any gear i'm not going to take anything i'm just going to take my got to have the watch on because if you don't have it the if you can't track it it doesn't count but i'm gonna i'm gonna vow to myself for my next recovery run i'm not taking any gear i'm not taking anything i'm just gonna go and i'm not even gonna look at my watch until i'm done i'm just gonna hit start and i'm gonna hit stop and I'm just going to enjoy myself and I'm going to kind of think about what you said and I'm just going to relax and just kind of be a virgin child 
sober runner for the first time and just have fun with my next recovery run. Yeah, I try to do one run a week without headphones. So no headphones, no music, no Netflix on the treadmill, just one run a week where, I mean, I still take my watch or an app or whatever, but I, I try to just have one, I call it a gratitude run. You know, I just have, I have one run where I'm just like grateful that I can and one run a week where I can just kind of get away from all the tech in my life. I love it. I'm going to start doing the gratitude run. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. So uh, Natalie, it was, it was so awesome to have you on today's episode. Um, it was, it was really cool to, uh, to share this story. Um, a lot of fun stuff. Um, especially the last story you shared with us was definitely something that I think a lot of our <laughs> listeners won't forget. <laughs> I may um, never live that one down on the internet. Uh, pro- probably not. Uh, the good news is you have at least 11 days till a lot of people hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I might never live down the poop story on the internet, but that's okay. Yeah, no shame. It's all good. Um, there's definitely people out there with worse stories. They probably just, they're not brave enough to say them out loud. You probably just inspired someone to share their next goofy story. And we're just going to open up a yeah. whole can of worms on that segment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I started something. I love it. I love it. I love it. But hey, again, Natalie, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Um, you know how I'm going to close this out now. So we want to definitely thank you for staying healthy, staying fit. And Natalie, tell them how you're doing it. One day at a time. All right, girl. Thanks again and have a great day and be safe. Thanks. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Natalie. And thank you for all of our listeners out there tuning in. If you yourself are a recovering athlete and you would like to join our community, you can find us on Facebook at StayingFitODAAT. Just answer a few simple questions and we'd love to have you. Uh, For anybody else who is just enjoying these stories, please make sure that you subscribe, share along, follow along, and tell a friend. You never know whose life we can save. Everybody, just know you're loved. Please stay healthy, stay fit, and make sure you're doing this one day at a time.